Hi, this is Mark Rabin. Before the episode, let me quickly tell you about my new book. It's titled Measures of Success. It's a book that will help you react less to your performance metrics, every up and down in those. It'll help you lead better. It'll help you improve more. So you can learn more about the book by going to www.measuresofsuccessbook.com or you can search Amazon. It's available as a print book, a Kindle book. It's available through Apple Books. I hope you'll check it out. Hi, this is Mark Raven. If you like this podcast, you might realize I have a blog, leanblog.org. Did you also know that I have another podcast called Lean Blog Audio? And there I basically, occasionally, or as often as I can, I read audiobook style versions of blog posts. So you can go to leanblog.org slash audio or search in your favorite podcast place for Lean Blog Audio. I hope that'll give you something else uh, that's food for thought, something else to help you in your lean journey. Welcome to the Lean Blog Podcast. Visit our website at www.leanblog.org. Now, here's your host, Mark Graben. Hi, this is Mark Graben. Welcome to episode 129 of the podcast for August 31st, 2011. My guest today is Chris Cooper. He is a vice president with the consulting firm Simpler, and he is the author of a new book called The Little Book of Lean. So if you want to learn more about this book, you can go to simpler.com slash publications.html. And for other episodes of the podcast or for information about how to subscribe to get every episode automatically, you can go to leanpodcast.org. Thanks for listening. Well, joining us today from Manchester, England, I want to welcome uh, Chris Cooper to the podcast. Thanks for being here. Thanks. Thanks for having me, Mike. So um, if you could start off, um, you know, tell the listeners about your background and um, how you first got involved with Lean in your career. Yeah, I, um, I first got involved in Lean, uh, I would say, uh, you know, it's over 20 years ago now. Um, I was, as, uh, as a young engineer, very curious um, about Japanese, uh, particularly Japanese motorcycle uh, manufacturing. I was first and foremost a, a motorcycle enthusiast, and, um, and I remember as a young teenager and an aspiring engineer seeing what the guys were doing at Honda and Kawasaki and Suzuki and Yamaha and, and actually seeing what they were doing to my own UK-based motorcycle industry without any knowledge of, of how they were doing it at all and just sort of standing and watching in awe. Um, and then it really by a, a quirk of fate, I was, um, I was training to be an engineer, studying to be an engineer and working at um, an aerospace company which is now known worldwide as BAE Systems mm -hmm. and in 1989 we had a strategic tie-up with Kawasaki and um, that was set up by the UK government on the basis of um, trade sharing um, because the US, UK government had seen that in terms of productivity and competitiveness the UK industry was having some issues and um, they'd rightly identified that you know the Japanese could help us mm -hmm. and um, you can <laughs> you can probably imagine how that story went the higher levels of our organization remain largely uninterested mm -hmm. and um, as an aspiring junior manager I was 
exposed to this thing called the Kawasaki production system, which which was actually, even in its documentation, was a complete copy of the Toyota production system. And really that's where my my journey started. I, I saw, you know, the kind of revelation things that most people see when they come from from the traditional world to the lean world. And I was completely sort of sold. So I, I apprenticed myself to that system. Mm-hmm. Um, for as long as those guys were around, and, and that was really what started my journey. And then in the introduction to your book, A Little Book of Lean, um, you, you talk about some of the other influences, um, George Koenigsegger, Jim Womack, um, Danaher as a company. Can you, can you talk about some of those influences and, and the impact yeah. and what you learned from them? Yeah, the timeline was really, um, you know, the timeline was kind of in those early days. We used to... Um, you know, we used to talk about just in time and we used to talk about the continuous flow manufacturing. I realized that you'd begin to bump into the same people, uh, being taught by the same sort, sort of guys. So in, in the introduction to my book, I, I call, you know, this the Toyota School of Improvement, which I'm sure they would call it the Deming School of Improvement as well. Um, but, you know, it became clear to me that the people that were doing really good things were being taught by, you know, a similar bunch of people. So I met uh, uh, Jim Walmack and uh, and Dan Jones um, very early on. And they visited our one of our sites. I was involved in, in more of our sites with Lean at this point. And uh, I know at one time we were under consideration for discussions about... Um, you know some some writers in their books, mm. and um, and through that I met uh, I met for example George Koenigsacker, um, uh, and what he was doing at Hon, and then what he was doing at Lean Investments, and I I sort of you know struck up a, a relationship with George and started to learn more from from George, and then um, and then latterly I also studied uh, Danaher and apprenticed myself to a couple of ex um, Danaher VPs um, and really tried to understand what is it about their system that makes you know makes their system as repeatable as Toyota's in a way um, because I think that's one of the great untold stories of Lean is yeah. Danaher's system well, you know keeps being repeated over and over again. Yeah, and I think you know, Danaher's somewhat private and secretive in a way. Um, a lot of people haven't been exposed to, to Danaher. I mean, is there a difference? Um, just a quick question. The Danaher approach, the yeah. Toyota approach? Um, yeah, I think I think, I think the, the Danaher approach is a much more, you know, from what I've studied, is a, it's a much more aggressive on the business uh, front, but it's I would guess as equally committed in, in terms of the culture, um, whereas the the Toyota approach is is driven from a very sort of Japanese approach. I think ultimately Danaher's story comes down to the fact that the the guys that own it are not manufacturing guys, so they don't you know they don't have the traditional manufacturing paradigm mm. of what is mm. and what isn't possible. Plus, they're, they're um, you know, habitual users of policy deployment, which is is a huge cipher uh, stone for a lean transformation that a lot of people miss out. Yeah. So let, let's um, 
shift and, and, and talk about the book, um, the little book of Lean. Um, so to give us, tell us the background, um, why you wrote the book and you know, who, what the intended audience and, and impact will be um, from the book that you think. Yeah, uh, the reason, the motivation for, for writing the book was something that had been bubbling up over a number of years. And, um, you know, when I, when I actually put pen to paper, I, I couldn't believe really how long it had taken me to, to write it. I had a late night conversation as I, as I do sometimes across the, uh, <laughs> across the, the, the water with, uh, Steve Spear. Mm-hmm. Um, I was talking to Stephen and, uh, and, and and we were um you know we were talking about um a company that we we'd been in touch with and I'd met I'd met Stephen some years ago and there's kind of two I find there's two sort of secret codes in lean I mean one is that when you recognize that somebody knows the same stuff as you there's a kind of connection but then there's a deeper connection with the people that really get the behavioral side of lean and that was something that Steve and I, you know, we found ourselves in a room helping a, helping a business and, you know, we both recognized that I think we were coming from that same level of understanding. And um, anyway, the long story sh- in a short version is that I was saying to Steve that, you know, I was frustrated that um, a new generations of managers weren't entering the workplace with this knowledge and that effectively you know, what, what seemed to be happening was people were being taught economy of scale thinking and mm-hmm. paradigms over and over again. And I said to, uh, <laughs> I said to Stephen in the call, I said, you know, we really need a sort of Lean 101, um, you know, book that, that, um, that helps those people. And Stephen just said, well, why do you write it? Mm-hmm. You know, <laughs> and I, uh, I sort of said, you know, yeah, that's a, that's a pretty good idea. I think the other thing which, you know, which we didn't discuss, um, but was really bothering me over the years was that I thought that the, the intellectual cost of entry, if you like, um, to get into the lean thinking world was, was, was not really serving the people who needed it. In fact, the intellectual cost seemed to be going higher and higher and higher as you know, people had to understand more and more tools and, you know, had to understand, um, you know, associated concepts such as when, you know, people brought Lean, you know, Michael Dodge, for example, brought Lean and Six Sigma together. Um, you know, I, I thought that was a bit troubling because it kind of made um, what should be a very simple subject mm-hmm. um, start to sound very complicated. And then... Um, you know, just as an aside to that, I was uh, I was recently a guest at, uh, at Nissan uh, Manufacturing UK last month, mm-hmm. and um, you know they haven't had theirs. They've had 20 years of um, productivity improvement, and they haven't done that by having one or two people understand what they're trying to do. You know, they've had it by having 4,000 people understand uh, what they do, and, and 4,000 people able to. And that's just in the UK, sure. able to help them improve. Um, so yeah, I had a you know even as a somebody who considers themselves a lean sensei, I had a a bit of a problem with the with that sort of cultural elite model that says you know there's only going to be 
four or five people that are really going to understand this thing, and all the rest of you have to be guided mm, by them. Right. And I, I, yeah, yeah. I and mean, then, I, I, and then, sorry, no. I was just saying. And then finally, there, there was a real practical reason for the book, which was whenever you know I'm called as a sensei to go and to meet with people. You know, one of the first questions I always was asked was you know, what book should mm-hmm. should we read? And, um, you know, with the deepest respect that I have for for Jim Womack and Dan Jones, I, I used to say to people, read Lean Thinking. And the problem was it always used to create far too many questions than it mm-hmm. did answers for people. So if I gave Lean Thinking, for example, to, a, a you know, an orthopedic surgeon, they would say, yeah. you know, what the hell has this got to do with me because I don't make anything. Yeah. And, uh, you know, if I gave, you know, I had principals from schools asking me, you know, what is it that you do as a job? And, you know, you try and point them to, to lean thinking and they'd say, I still don't understand, yeah. you know, what it means to me. So that was, those were really the three things that were motivating the, the creation of the book. And in, in the book, I mean, you know, very early on you state, um, you know, there's a lot more to this than a bunch of tools. So, you know, can, can you elaborate on, on some of your views of, you know, the importance of combining, you know, principles and tools with culture and, and different ways of managing? Yeah, I, I think for me, the, you know, the tools, I mean, if you go all the way through, uh, through the, the history of evolution and, you know, in order to do that, you have to study Toyota a lot. Um, uh, I probably, you know, did that to a level of distraction that was probably unhealthy. But, you know, everything that I, that I understood about the evolution and, and having then practically attempted it myself is the tools are only ever a response to, uh, a, a philosophical question. Mm-hmm. You know, whenever, whenever you need to remove waste, um, from an activity or you want to improve the flow or something like that, that's when the tools become important. But everything starts with the principles and the essence of what you're trying to do. And if you're trying to solve problems in that in that certain way of looking at things, you know, that lean that lean drives you to, then the tools should always take a secondary a secondary um, position. And, you know, sometimes two or three different tools could be used, you know, for the exact same problem and get slightly different answers. But, you know, the, the, the main thing is the, is the overall sort of philosophy and principles that you're trying to achieve. And that's why, you know, for me, the, the book had to be, had to be small. It had to be deliberately distilled down to the, the very essence of what we're trying to do rather than, expand itself to show, you know, to show how much I know about lean kind of thing. Yeah, well, and it reminds me of the old, I think it was a Mark Twain joke of, you know, writing um, a long letter and he, you know, says something like, I apologize, the letter would have been shorter, but I didn't have the time. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, that's a great quote. That Yeah, I think it goes along the lines of, you know, sorry, I didn't have time to write a short letter. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Yeah, and that, that would, you know, that was, um, one of the challenges really in writing the book was, you know, because I was really in a distillation, you know, I was trying to distill to its essence, right, and do that without losing any of the essence. 
um, it was actually a really good discipline for writing the book because it made it really, really hard about what is the, you know, the absolute essence that you have to put in this thing. Yeah. And what, also what the, you know, does the reader have to build for themselves to, um, you know, to get, to get there by reading it. So the unusual structure of the book with the, you know, the kind of theory, if you like, and then the sensei questions right. was, was deliberate. Um, it was deliberate. I could have written lots of case studies of, you know, all of the places that I've been to, to, to help people do this stuff. But actually, you know, it, it only gains meaning when people start to think about how it applies to them. Yeah, the, and, the, uh, yeah, I liked how the questions prompt people to think through those ideas in their own context. Yeah, because I mean, you know, primarily that, that it starts with the thinking process. I mean, when when EJ, EJ Toyota said to his workers, you know, straight after the war, I want you to think about, you know, just in time production. I mean, he he only he only clearly had a vague a vague idea of what he wanted the organisation to achieve, but he had a very clear idea of the thinking that he wanted them to adopt. Yeah. And it was that think, you know, it's that thinking that gets to, um, that gets to the solutions. I think that's the irony of it. I, as I was in, uh, as I would say, I was in Nissan, um, just this, just a month ago, um, and I've been fortunate enough to be a guest at, um, at Toyota plants as well. You know, their, their, their current state, if you like, of where they are is the result of um, you know, 60 years of thinking and problem solving in the same way. And if you take thousands of people and have them thinking and problem solving in the same way, then you get to solutions that look yeah. like a Toyota or a Nissan or a Honda plant, for example, does today. But, you know, I always stressed to my, you know, my students, if you like, and my clients that you know, that's not how your business will look, has to look tomorrow. You know, you have to think through, first of all, the questions in your own mind and then start to move in that direction. Mm -hmm. I, I, I was, you know, it's legendary now, but <clears throat> I was given the same advice by our Japanese teachers when Kawasaki first came into my life that, you know, hey, we're 60 years ahead of you guys and you'll never catch us up. And I never really knew what that meant. Yeah. Um, it took me a while to realize that, yeah, they were actually 60 years ahead. And um, what it means is that what I've learned the hard way is it's very difficult for people to to accelerate their own learning. You know, you, there's no way people can go from, you know, being where they are to being a, yeah. a, a Toyota overnight. Well, I think, yeah, people, you know, leaders um, are often impatient, so... You say this is going to take 60 years. A lot of people want something that's just a six-month initiative that they can say they're done with as opposed to really changing and shifting to that, that, that new way of thinking and operating and improving over time. So, I mean, what, what, what's your response when you find somebody who maybe has that impatience and says, Chris, you know, we got to get there next year? Yeah, well, I think, I think, I think the, the lean, you know, I'd say the lean industry and the lean community has a bit of, you know, self-reflection to do on that because, you know, I also think that those same leaders have a re have a right to results from day one. Mm -hmm. Um and I think the problem is that a lot of the 
a lot of the stuff which is going on under the banner of lean is not properly results focused. I mean, if you go into, you know, if you were to picture yourself, um, you know, with, uh, with EGT order in the, um, immediate post war, you know, you would have found yourself in a sort of blazing, burning platform. Yeah. Um, in a real sort of do or die situation, you know, it was like we have to match level, American levels of productivity before those guys arrive in our country, otherwise we're dead. And so, you know, even, <clears throat> even though their first fledgling steps along the, along the way would have been, you know, fraught with problems and trying and retrying things, I mean, they still had to demand results. And I think, you know, the problem with a lot of lean guys is that they, they, they miss the need for results. And the need for results always outstrips, you know, the short-term perfectionism in terms of the, the philosophy. So, I, you know, I, I actually say at the moment, I, I didn't write it in my um, book, but I, I do speak to people and say there's two problems because, you know, there are two schools of lean. There's the Toyota school. And there's the Toyota school. <laughs> and what I mean by that, you know, cryptic comment is that there's the Toyota post-war school, which is very senior management driven, results driven. And then there's Toyota today model, which is very much focused around, you know, long, long term, uh, improvements in terms of quality. And, uh, you know, that, that, that quality focus has been there forever, but, you know, there was also a burning business platform focus which has been missing for them for them anyway for for quite a while i know that you know i've watched the comments of toyota leaders over the last two decades and i know that they've always stressed the importance of you know giving people this idea that you know you should never rest on your laurels but in terms of their big changes you know for them that's gone from re-engineering plants from mass production to flow to, you know, let's build another plant. And I think, you know, I think that's two different mindsets. Sure. Um, well, well, Chris, it's, it's been really good talking to you here and, and getting, you know, kind of introduction to yourself and, and to your book, um, The Little Book of Lean. Uh, for, for the listeners, if, if they want to find your book, um, it looks like at the moment it's not available on Amazon. Um, where, where can they find the book? Where can they learn more about yeah, the book? Yeah, the book, the book is available through the Simpler, uh, Simpler.com website, www.simpler.com. Um, and uh, we're on a, we're just about uh, to pursue that, um, about being able to get that as a print-on-demand uh, book through Amazon. So um, I'm excited about, you know, people being able to pick that up and, uh, you know, either go straight to the website. So straight to the website initially, and then it will expand beyond that. And I think, you know, my aim for the, especially for, you know, for anybody interested in the field was, you know, I, I, my aim was for it to be a book that gets passed around. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, when people pass it to somebody else and uh, or pass them a copy and then sort of sit down with them and understand their responses to the questions, that they would have a better, you know, they would have a better handle on where people were starting from and, and how much, you know, they're, as an organization, they, what they had, what sort of change they had on their hands, you know. So I think if every client, I thought to myself that if every client I had 
had a copy of that book and they'd filled all the questions in and then we you know we sat down and had a chat from that point we'd uh we'd probably save uh, ourselves a lot of uh <laughs> a lot of pain and enough <laughs> sure. uh have, have a lot more fun well chris cooper um thanks again for uh, taking time to chat today here on the podcast really enjoyed it yeah thanks it's been a real pleasure and uh look forward to speaking again Thanks for listening. This has been the Lean Blog Podcast. For lean news and commentary updated daily, visit www.leanblog.org. If you have any questions or comments about this podcast, email mark at leanpodcast at gmail.com.